Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 83 of the show. It's definitely another good one for you. We've officially reached one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, The Open Championship on the PGA Tour has arrived, and so we'll get into all that, recap this past weekend's tournament. Uh, Major League Baseball will do an in-depth standings update as we have uh, officially uh, are reaching the All-Star break. Uh, which is the beginning of next week. So this is the last episode before the All-Star break. So we'll do a standings update as they currently sit. And then uh, around the island, big segment, uh, particularly in the National Hockey League. The NHL draft was last week. And uh, a lot of free agent re-signings and trades have gone down. So we'll talk about that. Uh, We'll do some uh, Major League Baseball discussion as well and then go over who the All-Star game starters are going to be. And so just lots to get into with this episode, Uh, but we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, Last weekend, uh, we had two tournaments. There was one here stateside, which was the Barbasol Championship. We didn't really cover the Barbasol Championship much. I just kind of mentioned it. It was at the Keen Trace Golf Club in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Um, That had a lot of uh, lower-level golfers, no big names participated in that one, Um, a lot of lower-ranked players. It wasn't something that I tuned into, uh, didn't really care to watch because all the big names were in the other tournament. But just to recap the Barbasol Championship real quick, Trey Mullinax was your winner there at 25 under par, Kevin Streelman solo second at 24 under par, and then Mark Hubbard solo third at 22 under par. But the uh, bigger tournament where all the big names were playing was the Genesis Scottish Open, which is actually where we, uh, that's where we previewed on last week's episode. We did a preview on this uh, on this um, tournament, the Genesis Scottish Open. It was at the Renaissance Club, which was in North Berwick, Scotland, right, to par 70, distance 7,293 yards, all right, Um this tournament had a lot of the, the big-name players, like I mentioned. This was actually the fourth time that this Genesis Scottish Open was played here at the Renaissance Club. Uh, it's a Lynx-style golf course, right? It's in Scotland, so it's Lynx-style. Uh, fair, tight fairways, you know, a lot of pot bunkers. It's typical stuff you would see uh, on a Lynx course. The previous, what's interesting is the previous three years uh, that the tournament's been played here, the average winning score was 17 under par, all right? And interestingly enough, all three of those tournaments uh, previously, the last three years, have gone into a playoff. Well, we didn't go into a playoff this week, and we weren't even close to 17 under par uh, as the final score. We'll get into that in just a second. The field for this thing was very strong. Uh, the week before the Open Championship, uh, it was 
co-sanctioned between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. So that got us 75 golfers from the PGA Tour and 75 golfers from the DP World Tour. And by field strength rating, this was actually the strongest non-major DP World Tour field in history. 10 out of the top 13 golfers in the official World Golf Rankings were out there. Uh, Pretty much all the big names that you would recognize, uh, they were out there. And then this was the final uh, Open Championship qualifying event. So the top three finishers in this event that were not already uh, playing in the Open Championship got to be a part of the Open Championship. So uh, just to recap, round one, we kind of had to wacky, like once-in-a-lifetime thing happen. All right, it was, like I said, first round on the par 5 16th hole. Will Zalatoris hit a chip shot from off the green. The ball was actually tracking the whole way. It looked like it was going to go in the cup. Great chip. Ended up hitting the lip, rolling over the lip of the cup. Changed direction slightly as it rolled past the hole, about four to five feet. And this ball came to rest directly on top of Matthew Fitzpatrick's poker chip ball marker. Um, you, you really couldn't believe it when you saw it. Um, a lot of guys use a, like a typical ball mark, a smaller metal, kind of flat with the ground, not something you can land a ball on. But uh, Matt Fitzpatrick uses like a poker chip, and uh, this Zalatoris's ball literally landed directly. It rolled and rolled and rolled and came to rest directly on top of the poker chip. You couldn't do this if you had a million tries, all right? Like Zalatoris could have hit that shot one million times, and he couldn't have done it. Right, if he was trying, but he ended up just nobody could believe it. Uh, the caddies got their cell phones out, were taking pictures with their phones, which I don't think is maybe allowed. But uh, in this particular situation, uh, it was wild to see, and you had to get a picture of it. Uh, so that was round one. Round two, uh, English golfer Jordan Smith, he got an ace hole in one on the par three seventeenth hole, which actually resulted in in him and his caddy both winning Genesis cars uh, as their prize for the hole-in-one. So big deal there. Round three, Jordan Spieth, uh, he had not one but two eagles uh, in round three, both of which were on the back nine. Uh, The par five-tenth, he uh, had an eagle putt. And then on the par four-fifteenth, he actually... um, Hold out from the fairway. Great shot. Um, had some roll to it once it hit the green. So he had two eagles in a five-hole span there in round three. So uh, pretty good stuff there for Jordan Spieth. Uh, but in the end, your winner was Xander Shoffley with a score of seven under par. Okay. Uh, now, I mentioned the previous three tournaments here at the Renaissance Club. The average winning score was seven under. I mean, 17 under. This week, it was seven under. So, not close to that at all. Uh, Shoffley actually started out round one at two over par, 72. Uh, picked it up in round two and three, where he had uh, a five under 65 and a four under 66 to get him to that seven under par. And then he. Um, was at even par 70 for his final round. Now, uh, that victory for Xander Shoffley, it um, was his seventh career victory on tour and his second victory in his last two PGA Tour starts, meaning that he's won back-to-back PGA Tour events, uh, the other being the Travelers Championship 
there at TPC River Highlands. Now, after that tournament, the Travelers, he actually flew over to Ireland and played in the J.P. McManus Pro-Am Tour in Ireland, which was the week prior to this one, uh, and he won that Pro-Am tournament. So that's not a PGA Tour-sanctioned event, so it doesn't count as a PGA Tour victory. So literally, Xander Schauffele, he's won the last three events he's played in. He won the Travelers Championship, the J.P. McManus Pro-Am Tournament, and here the Genesis Scottish Open. So this dude, that's like Scotty Scheffler pace. Remember remember Scotty Scheffler earlier this year winning basically every week? Well, that's how Xander Schauffele has been the last three weeks. It's not something that's sustainable, but um, it makes him uh, very uh, competitive for this weekend's Open Championship. Now, Interestingly enough, like I mentioned, seven career victories on tour for Xander Schauffele. Uh, he, ha- he only had four wins in his first 128 starts on tour. He has three in his last seven starts on tour, going back to the Zurich Classic of New Orleans when him and Patrick Cantlay won that a couple months ago. So Schauffele is hotter than a fox in a forest fire right now. Um, he actually only had a one-shot victory over Kurt Kitayama, who finished at six under par. Uh, Kitayama opened at four under and then fired back-to-back rounds of one over 71 and then closed with that four under 66 again on Sunday. Had the best round on Sunday. Uh, Looked like he was going to tie it perhaps, but uh, Shoffley just wouldn't let it go. Uh, Shoffley actually had the lead up to, I think, nine under at one point uh, in that final round, but uh, ended up closing at seven under, which, like I said, a one-shot victory. Solo third place was... Ju uh, Hyung Kim, he finished at five under, and again, he really came out of nowhere, uh, fired a 68, two under, then one over, 71, and then closed on the weekend with a one under 69 and a three under 67, so he kind of snuck in there. Uh, two-way tie for fourth at four under par between Tommy Fleetwood and Patrick Cantlay. Both of those guys uh, finished... Uh, Sunday's round with three under 67s uh, to get them bumped up into the top five. And a three-way tie for, four-way tie for six, that three under par. That was Brandon Wu, Jamie Donaldson, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Cameron Tringali. Now, Cameron Tringali, he came out in round one and rattled off a nine under 61 uh, and then steadily proceeded to uh, fall on his face. He went two over, four over, and then even par in the final round. Tringali has never won on tour, and that trend continued uh, this week. So uh, pretty hefty collapse there for Tringali. He got it up to 11 under at one point, uh, potentially 12 under, uh, but he just couldn't close the deal. But that was last weekend's tournament. I mentioned this is my favorite weekend of the year, or favorite week of the year, and that's because it is this weekend's tournament the Open Championship, which is at the St. Andrews Golf Links, the old course there in Scotland. It is a par 72. The distance is 7,313 yards. Okay, one of the most iconic courses. Um, it is the fourth and final major championship of the year here on the PGA Tour, and it's also the 150th edition of the Open Championship. So, very special stuff happening there this week. Uh, the the previous uh, winners, champions dinner that's taking place. All that stuff. Um, the Open Championship is actually the original major championship in, in golf. It was the first one out of the four, and this is the thirtieth 
out of uh, the 30th Open Championship to be played at St. Andrews, well, which is the most of any course in the Open Championship rotation. Um, there's about, I want to say, maybe seven or eight courses that the Open Championship rotates between. St. Andrews is one of them. And this is the 30th time we've seen the Open Championship here at St. Andrews. Okay, uh, St. Andrews' nickname is the home of golf because that is where golf was first played about 600 years ago. And, uh, of course, it is a Lynx-style golf course. Uh, so when you think of the Open Championship, you always think of Lynx-style golf. And we know what Lynx-style golf is. Um, very long course, very undulating, not a whole lot of flat parts of the fairway or the greens. Uh, it's difficult to play. Weather is typically a big factor. A lot of winds, high-blowing winds, uh, usually a lot of cloud cover and precipitation All right, throughout the weekend. Kind of chillier temperatures, too, for July. Uh, but this weekend, uh, the forecast actually looks pretty good. Uh, there's only some uh, potential rain and possible wind uh, on Saturday and Sunday's round. Thursday and Friday's rounds should be okay, which was something I noticed this past week watching the Genesis Scottish Open is the weather was very cooperative. Uh, it did get a little windy, uh, but it was pretty much sunny and clear skies uh, most of that tournament. So if we can get that same weather again this weekend, uh, I think we're in for a very, very good uh, tournament of golf. But, you know, it is Scotland, and the weather kind of changes uh, on a dime over there. So uh, it could be sunny. Uh, you know, 10 minutes later, it could be raining and cloudy. So uh, we'll see how the weather looks this weekend. But it does. it is shaping up to be, at least on the forecast, looks like it's going to be a very bearable uh, open championship. Now, I told you this is my favorite uh, weekend of the year. It's my favorite golf tournament of the year, the Open Championship. I lo absolutely love everything about the Open Championship. Very early tee times here in the U.S., of course, here in the central time zone where I'm at. Scotland is six hours ahead. So uh, the first round uh, actually tees off in this thing Wednesday night this week into Thursday. So as you go to bed Wednesday night, uh, you can either stay up late and watch. I think the first tee time is like 12.35 a.m., central time on Thursday. So that's basically midnight 35, Wednesday night into Thursday. So it, this quick tournament starts earlier than usual. Uh, so I love that. I love getting up uh, and watching this, this tournament. Um, the weather factor, you know, you never know what that's going to be. Super unpredictable over there. Just every, just the atmosphere, the scene, the beauty of playing, uh, over there in Europe, very old course, um, the historic, uh, historic nature of St. Andrews or any of the other Open Championship courses. And this is literally the one tournament per year that I will watch from start to finish. If I leave the house, I'll have it on my phone. I'll be watching it. Um, you basically can either stay up until, you know, 2, 3, 4 in the morning and catch the uh, first tee times or go to bed early and wake up at 6 a.m. And, and catch the uh, the afternoon tee times there in Scotland. So whatever you'd like to do, I'm probably going to maybe do a combination of both. I think that's usually what I do. But if you've not done that, if you've not gotten up early and just turned on golf, uh, I encourage you to do that because it is quite the experience. Like I said, it's the only tournament. I guess you could have done it last weekend for the Genesis Scottish Open, but it just doesn't have the aura that uh, the Open Championship does. So you will not be disappointed if you choose to do that. 
the field for this thing, it's a major championship. It's obviously loaded. I don't need to get into that. Uh, every top name in the world will be out there. And a lot of guys that played at the Genesis Scottish Open will be out there as well. Uh, they're going to be ready to go after playing in Scotland on a link style course last week. So uh, they'll be warmed up, uh, ready to go. Uh, notables uh, in the field, Daniel Berger, he had to withdraw due to a back injury. So uh, he is being replaced by rookie Phenom Sahith Thigala. He's had a tremendous year on tour in the running for rookie of the year. So he replaces Daniel Berger and then Tiger Woods. He is actually going to be out there teeing it up for his, uh, you know, I, he's played in all four major championships. Actually, no, he's played in two major championships uh, so far this year, the Masters and the U.S. Open. He um, tried to play in the PGA Championship and had to withdraw after the third round. So he didn't finish that one. Um no, I take that back. Woods did not play in the U.S. Open. He played in the Masters and the first three rounds of the PGA Championship. Then he withdrew and then missed the U.S. Open. All right, so he has not played since the PGA Championship, hoping that his leg is is physically ready to go. Um, Tiger Woods has won the Open Championship here at St. Andrews before, so uh, we will see how he does. Uh, interesting storylines in this thing. The last five major champions have all been in their 20s, all right? So we've seen a lot of younger guys, kind of this younger golfing generation taking over the last five majors. And based on who is in this thing and how well these guys have been playing, I would actually expect that to be six major champions in a row being in their 20s. Uh, we'll have to see on that. Rory McIlroy and Will Zalator, speaking of guys in their 20s, uh, they're the only two golfers to have finished inside the top 10 in each of the first three majors this year. So you know Rory's won an Open Championship before. He's going to be a factor. And Will Zalatoris seems to have a knack for major championships. So uh, certainly keep an eye on those two guys. Uh, world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, he's looking to become the first golfer since Tiger Woods back in 2005 to win both the Masters and the Open Championship at St. Andrews in the same year, and uh, he missed the cut last week at the Genesis Scottish Open, so he's looking for some redemption. Uh, he's been playing well in all the majors as well. Now, the two major, uh, the last two major winners from this year, of course, Scotty Scheffler won the Masters. The PGA Championship was won by Justin Thomas, and the U.S. Open was won by Matthew Fitzpatrick. So JT and uh, Matt Fitzpatrick are also looking to win their second major title of the year. And uh, uh, JT's won two PGA championships and nothing else. Matthew Fitzpatrick just won the U.S. Open for her, his first major. He's from England, uh, played will, really well. Of course, I just mentioned him uh, in the Genesis Scottish Open as having finished um, in the top six. Right? He finished T6, so he, he played really well last week. Uh, he's going to be a contender. And then Jordan Spieth, uh, this dude always is a factor here at the Open Championship, and uh, he loves link-style courses. He plays them really well. He has won an Open Championship as well, and he also finished second in last year's version of the Open Championship, so keep an eye out for Jordan Spieth. But uh, like I said, uh, kind of an extended PGA segment here, but uh, I absolutely love the Open Championship. I'm so excited for this weekend. It's my favorite golf weekend of the year. I will be tuned in from start to finish, uh, watching it uh, late at night, early in the morning, combination of both, 
and uh, certainly would encourage you to do so because uh, it is the last major championship of the season, and uh, it is by far the best major championship of the season as well. So uh, we will certainly have a loaded recap of this tournament on next week's episode. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball and do a standings update here in the MLB. Uh, Most teams have played uh, between 85 to 88 games so far this season, so we are officially past the halfway point of the season. And next week uh, is the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, so the teams will be off for, uh, I think it's a three- or four-day break in the schedule between Monday and uh, Wednesday, perhaps, uh, or Thursday, so... Uh, We'll get into the all-star starters and whatnot in the Around the Island segment, but this is strictly standings updates. This will be the last standings update that we have before the all-star game, so these uh, standings probably won't change much uh, between now and next week's episode. There are still, I think, four... I think as I record this episode, teams have about four or five games left before they break for the all-star game, so... Um, we might see a few changes, um, but nevertheless, we'll get into it on the National League side of things. The NL East, the New York Mets are still in first place at 54 and 33. They're two and a half games clear of the Atlanta Braves, still at 52 and 36. Now, the Atlanta Braves, they acquired second baseman Robinson Cano from the San Diego Padres in exchange for cash considerations. Now, Cano, uh, you know, flopped really bad in San Diego. He just can't find a home right now. He's getting traded for cash. You know, that's how bad it is. Um, So we'll see if it works out with Atlanta. He did start the other night. Uh, I think it was uh, Monday night. Uh, He did start in his first game with Atlanta and got a a hit in his first uh, at-bat. So we'll see how he does in Atlanta. But, I mean, I guess if you're the Braves, you can take a chance on Cano. But, um, We'll see if that pans out because Cano hasn't really done much this year. He's been cut from two teams, so uh, we'll see how that goes. The Philadelphia Phillies are 46-41. and 41. They're uh, eight games back of the Mets. Uh, but first baseman Kyle Schwarber, uh, this dude continues to mash the baseball. He's up to like 28 home runs already, closing in on Aaron Judge for the Major League Baseball lead. It's the second season in a row that Schwarber has hit at least 25 home runs through the first 81 games uh, with different teams, by the way. So Kyle Schwarber joined Mark McGuire and Ken Griffey Jr., pretty elite company there, as the only three players in Major League Baseball history to do that in back-to-back years for different teams. Uh, That has hit 25 or more home runs through the first half of the season. So Pretty elite company there for Schwarber. Uh, the dude's only hitting like 220. His batting average is, is horrible, but uh, he can hit the baseball very far. So um, keep an eye out for him in Los Angeles there at uh, the Home Run Derby. Fourth place in the NL East is the Miami Marlins, who are 41 and 44. 12 games back, and then the Washington Nationals are 30 and 58. Uh, only won once in their last 10 games. Over in the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are still up top there at 48 and 39. They have a two-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are at 47 and 42. Like I mentioned on the previous couple of episodes, this is a two-horse race in that division. Those two teams will be battling it out the entire second half of the season uh, to see who wins and who gets a wild card spot. So 
Um, third place in the NL Central is the Pittsburgh Pirates at 37-50. and 50. Now, They have won three games in a row. Uh, they're still 11 games behind the Brewers. The Chicago Cubs are 34-52, and 52, uh, losers of four straight. And then last place is the Cincinnati Reds at 32-54. and 54. Now, the Reds have won four games in a row as I record this. And uh, rookie pitcher Hunter Green, a dude pitched last weekend. He uh, pitched, I think, six innings, six and a third maybe. He threw 38 pitches that were over 100 miles an hour, which is just preposterous. Uh, it's the second most 100-mile-an-hour pitches thrown by a pitcher in a single game in Major League Baseball history. Uh, the dude, you know, the later it gets into the game, the more his command kind of gets a little wild, but uh, the dude can throw some gas. There's no doubt about it, and uh, he is a terrific young pitcher. Uh, National League West, Los Angeles Dodgers are up top there at 56-29. and 29. Uh, They've won seven in a row, nine out of their last ten, and they've got a seven-and-a-half game lead on the San Diego Padres, who are at 50-38. and 38. So uh, that division lead is looking comfortable there for the Dodgers here at the All-Star break. Padres uh, uh, need to get on their horse if they want to catch the Dodgers. I certainly think the Padres will be a wild-card team uh, with 50 wins. They are um, right up there comfortably in a wild-card spot at the moment. Uh, San Francisco Giants, they're 43-42. and 42. They're 13 games back of the Dodgers, uh, five and a half games back of the Padres. So they have some work to do if they would like to make the playoffs as well over the second half of the year. Um, so... Well, uh, the the Giants have the lineup to do it. They have the pitching staff to do it. So we'll see uh, if they can. But uh, I certainly think they're going to be in contention for a wild card spot uh, at the very least. The Arizona Diamondbacks are thirty nine and forty eight, and the Colorado Rockies are thirty eight and forty nine. So neither of those two teams are going to be anywhere close to the playoffs. But uh, we'll move over to the American League. The biggest division lead has been this way for a while. It still is this way. It's the American League East. The New York Yankees are 61-25. and That is just insane. Uh, they're the first team to 60 wins. They did that in only 83 games, which is the second fewest games in Yankees history. Okay, In 1998, they reached 60 wins in 80 games, which was the fewest they've ever done that. They went on to win the World Series that year. And then in the Babe Ruth era of 1928 and 1939, they uh, reached 60 wins in 83 games, just as they did this year. And, oh, yeah, they won the World Series in both of those years. So uh, the Yankees, in their 25 losses, they've uh, been outscored uh, by a total of like 60 runs. It's about 2.4 runs per loss is what their average is, which is by far the lowest run uh, differential per loss among all teams this season. So uh, I told you their pitching's been good, their hitting's been good. Basically, everything's been good. You win 60 out of your first 83 uh, and 61 out of your first 86, uh, then you're doing something right. Um Last week, there was a game in which Aaron Judge and Aaron Hicks both hit grand slams for the Yankees in the same game. Here's your random baseball stat of the day. That was actually the first time in Major League Baseball history that two players with the same first name 
both hit a grand slam in the same game. And I shit you not, that is a legitimate stat. Um, That's just how baseball does. Uh, When I saw that, I was like, yep, that's going in here. I got to fit that in because uh, we all love those random baseball stats. So there you go. Uh, the Boston Red Sox are in second place in the AL East at 47 and 40. They're very comfortably in a wild card spot, but they're 14 and a half games back of the Yankees. Okay, which I don't think Boston's catching New York, uh, not at this rate. Uh, but they're certainly going to be a, a playoff team. The Red Sox. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are 46 and 40. Um, they're 15 games back of the Yankees, only a half game back of the Red Sox. They've been playing really well as of late, um, but uh, they're still a ways out. They're certainly in wild card contention. So too are the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, they're 45 and 42. Blue Jays are. They're 16 and a half games back of the Yankees. Uh, they've only won once in their last 10 games. The Blue Jays are going in the opposite direction. A couple episodes ago, they were one of the hotter teams. Now they're Uh, One of the worst teams in the last uh, week and a half, only winning once. And, um, you know, their lineup's still good. They have a couple of all-star starters, a couple of all-star reserves, uh, but uh, they are not going in the right direction. Uh, This all-star break probably comes at a perfect time for them. And one of the hottest teams in Major League Baseball, actually the hottest, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they're 43 and 44, almost 500 uh, at the All-Star, you know, or as I record this. They might be 500 at the All-Star break because they still have some games left. The Orioles have won eight games in a row, all right? Uh, that's the first time since 2005 that they've done that. Um, now, I- I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team because I don't think they will be. And all five of the teams in the AL East are not making the playoffs, but... Um, they certainly have a chance. Uh, if they keep playing like this, um, you know, they're, they, they, they might surprise some people over the second half of the year, which I uh, can't believe I'm saying that about the Orioles. My goodness. Um, they're definitely not the laughing stock that they were. Um, they're going to roll into the All-Star break right around 500, which is very impressive for them. Um, over in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins, they are 48-40. and 40. Uh, they have a three-and-a-half game lead on the Cleveland Guardians, okay? And the Guardians um, kind of let the division they, – they had the lead at one point. I think a couple of weeks ago they were in the division lead and kind of fallen off the wagon a tad, uh, but they're still right there in the mix. And then the Chicago White Sox, they're 41-45. and 45. They're six games back of the Twins. The Detroit Tigers are 36-51. and 51. Uh, They've lost four in a row on uh, this last few days. And then the Kansas City Royals are 34-52. and 52. Uh, Interesting fact about Kansas City infielder Whit Merrifield. He has played in 553 consecutive games, which is the longest streak in Major League Baseball since 2007. And it's the longest uh, streak in Kansas City Royals team history. So uh, he's an Iron Man. He's out there every day, plays pretty much the entire field with the exception of pitcher-catcher. Probably could if you asked. Uh, but Merrifield is a great bat, great speed, and just a good baseball player. Over in the American League West, uh, the Houston Astros, this is the second biggest lead in baseball. They have uh, The Astros are up top at 56-29. and 29. They've won eight out of their last ten. They have a 12-game lead on... 
the other hottest team in baseball, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, the Mariners are 45 and 42. They've won eight games in a row, nine out of their last 10. So technically, uh, both them and the Orioles have won eight games in a row, but the Mariners have won nine out of their last 10. The Orioles have won eight out of their last 10. So uh, the Mariners are technically the hottest team in baseball as it sits now. Uh, I keep reminding you, I was all over the Mariners in the preseason as a team that I liked to compete for the American League uh, title. And, um, the first uh, two months of the season, they really didn't show that. But here they are uh, right at the All-Star break coming in as one of the hottest teams in baseball. So uh, they're 12 games back of the Astros, but they are certainly in the mix for a wild card spot. And if they keep winning and keep playing like they have uh, with that lineup, uh, Julio Rodriguez, he's been an absolute sensation. Um, and he uh, he just continues to produce, you know, at, at the plate, on the base paths, uh, whatever. Uh, the dude is, he's a true elite talent. He's going to be in, all, in the all-star game. So uh, very impressive stuff there from Seattle. Uh, my Texas Rangers are still hanging around. They're third place in the AL West at 40 and 44. They're 15 and a half games back. Uh, catcher Jonah Heim, he's hit a career high 12 home runs already this season, making him uh, the only catcher since Pudge Rodriguez uh, in Rangers history with multiple 10 home run seasons before turning age 28. So pretty good company there for Heim. He's a, he's a fantastic catcher. Switch hitter, uh, he's got some good power, and uh, he's good behind the plate. He's one of the higher, um, you know, they, catchers, they frame the ball, right, to get a called strike. He's one of the better guys at framing the ball to get called strikes. I think he has the second highest called strike percentage uh, for catchers. So that means he's pretty good defensively as well. Uh, shortstop Corey Seager, he has just been on a torrid pace this past week. Uh, he's had a home run in four straight games this week, uh, which has put him at the 20 home run mark, and he's the first shortstop in the major leagues this season to hit the 20 home run plateau. So the Rangers do have some good offense. They, um, they've scored 382 runs as I record this, which is only two runs fewer than the Houston Astros. All right. So they're second in the division in runs scored. Um, they just have kind of had some pitching errors late in the game, but don't look now, but the Rangers, uh, you know, they're hovering around 500 at the all-star break as well. So, uh, hopefully they can keep on that and improve on that as the season progresses. Fourth place in the AL West is the Los Angeles Angels. They're 38-49, 19 games back uh, of the Astros. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10 games. Now, Shohei Otani, he had a start against the Florida Marlins last week as a pitcher. Uh, he extended his streak of consecutive starts without allowing an earned run up to four games. All right, so last four outings, Otani has not allowed an earned run. He's the first pitcher to do that since Jacob deGrom in the 2018 and 2019 seasons. Um, of course, deGrom been on the IL all year, but he's still one of the best pitchers in the game. And in that game against the Marlins, Otani also uh, was the DH for the Angels. He drove in a couple of runs and stole a base in that game. So uh, that performance made Shohei Otani the first player since 1920, basically over 100 years, uh, with 10-plus strikeouts, 
pitching in a game, along with multiple RBIs and a stolen base in the same game. First player since 1920 to do that. So uh, he is an all-star game starter, uh, spoiler alert, but um, that is pretty much the only bright spot the Angels have. You can throw in Mike Trout, I guess, as well, but uh, the Angels are not making the playoffs this year. And then last place uh, in the AL West and the entire Major League Baseball, it is the Oakland A's at 29-59. and 59. So, uh, like I said, all-star break teams, uh, those records will change a little bit. We have about four or five games for each team before the all-star break, maybe six in some cases if they have a doubleheader. So uh, the standings might look a little different on next week's episode, but... Um, That'll be the rest of the games that are played between uh, now and the All-Star break because next week's episode will probably be on the heels of the All-Star break. So um, we'll get you caught up and uh, we'll figure out how it looked at the actual All-Star break on next week's episode. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. and That is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports uh, lots to get into this week, uh, particularly in the National Hockey League. But we're going to start off in the NFL. Uh, the only piece of noteworthy NFL news, of course, we're still uh, heavily in the off-season. Training camp should be starting here in about two weeks, which is crazy to think of. But uh, such is the case. I'm ready to get this NFL season going. Uh, the only piece of NFL news I have for you, the home of the Pittsburgh Steelers for the last uh two decades has been named Heinz Field, all right? Uh, well, Heinz Field is no longer going to be called Heinz Field. It is now going to be called Akrisher Stadium. Now, Akrisher, it looks funny spelled out. It's A-C-R-I-S-U-R-E, Akrisher Stadium. Uh, Akrisher is a Michigan-based insurance brokerage uh, company, and they purchased the naming rights to the field uh, for the next 15 years. So it's a 15-year contract uh, so after two decades of being Heinz Field, uh, it will now be called Akrisher Stadium. A uh, lot of lot of flack on that that the Steelers have gotten, but you know when a company pays X amount of dollars for naming rights, uh, you really don't have a say in what they call it. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know Heinz Field has been one of the more recognizable stadium names uh, in the NFL. You know they had those giant ketchup bottles uh, in the end zones. You know and the, on the concourse. Uh, those will obviously be removed. Uh, it'll still be, uh, you know, an iconic stadium just because the Steelers play there, but it will no longer be called Heinz Field. It is now Akrisher Stadium. Uh, but we'll move over to the National Hockey League, and as I mentioned, a ton to get into between free agency trades and uh, the NHL draft that took place last week. Uh, some re-signings. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they re-signed defenseman Chris Letang to a six-year $36.6 million contract and forward Ricard Raquel to a six-year $30 million contract. Now, both of those guys are crucial pieces to what they're doing. Letang is a veteran up there in age, but uh, he's been a, a Pittsburgh Penguin for life, and this contract should finish out his career. Ricard Raquel was a big pickup for the Penguins at the trade deadline. I believe it was last year. Uh, they got him from the Anaheim Ducks, so he is staying uh, in Pittsburgh for six more years. The Minnesota Wild, they re-signed goalie Marc-Andre Fleury to a two-year, $7 million contract. Uh, they did acquire him at the trade deadline this past year, and uh, he teams up with Cam Talbot to form what is probably the best goaltending duo in the league. 
The Nashville Predators, they re-signed their best forward, Philip Forsberg, to an eight-year, $68 million deal. That was the highest uh, free agency contract we've seen handed out. It was rumored that Forsberg was going to test free agency because uh, he couldn't get a deal done, but uh, the Predators ended up uh, getting that deal done with him to lock up their best forward for the next uh, eight years. The Los Angeles Kings, they've re-signed forward Adrian Kempe to a four-year, $22 million extension. Uh, Kempe is a good young player. He was actually the Kings' only all-star representative this past season, so uh, he is staying in L.A. for the next four seasons. And then Colorado, the Avalanche, they re-signed forward Valerie Nachushkin to an eight-year contract worth about $49 million, uh, about six and 6.125 per season for the next eight years. Now, he was a first-round draft pick of the Dallas Stars, I think back in maybe 2015 or so, and he never panned out. Um, he actually, the year before he got traded, I think this was this last year was his first year in Colorado, but the year before that in Dallas, he did not score a single goal all year. So he goes to Colorado, had, you know, doesn't really have a great season, but he really elevated his game in the playoffs. He was a force the entire playoffs, scored a lot of goals in the playoffs, a lot of big goals for the Avalanche in their Stanley Cup run this year, and he was rewarded with an eight-year contract. So uh, I think the talent is probably there, but I'm not sold on Nachushkin having seen him uh, firsthand here in Dallas for those three years that he was here. Uh, so I'm not sure about that contract for Colorado. But a ton of trades to, to go break down here. Uh, we'll just start rattling them off. The New York Rangers, they traded goaltender uh, Alexander Gorgiev to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for a third and fifth round pick in last week's draft, along with a third round pick in next year's draft. Uh, and that deal solidified that Gorgiev will be Colorado's starter next year, along with Pavel Francouz as the backup. Uh, Avalanche general manager Joe Sackick confirmed at the draft that they will not re-sign goalie Darcy Kemper, who is the goalie that got them the Stanley Cup. So interesting moves there in Colorado. The Chicago Blackhawks, they have had a complete fire sale. Uh, they traded forward Alex DeBrinket to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for a first and second round pick in the draft last week, which ended up being the seventh overall and 39th overall pick, along with a third round pick in 2024. So it's a big time acquisition for the Senators. Uh, DeBrinket's a 40 goal scorer. Uh, the dude uh, can score from anywhere. Great player to add to that young core that they have building there in Ottawa. Uh, and Chicago continued their fire sale. Uh, they were involved in a three-team trade uh, on the draft, uh, first-round draft night. The three teams that were involved in the trade, the New York Islanders, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Montreal Canadiens. The Islanders received defenseman Alexander Romanoff and a fourth-round pick in that draft. The Blackhawks received the first-round pick, which was 13th overall, and a third-round pick. And then the Montreal Canadiens um, acquired center Kirby Dock from the Blackhawks. He was the third overall pick in the draft just a few years ago, so he's a terrific young player. Adds to that Montreal core. They have four elite players uh, under the age of 22, so the future is bright there in Montreal. Again, just a complete fire sale by Chicago, getting rid of uh, both Kirby Dock and Alex DeBrinkett. Several other trades, the Edmonton Oilers, they traded forward Zach Cassian, a first-round pick this year, third-round pick in 2024, 
and a second-round pick in 2025 to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for a first-round pick in last week's draft. Now, the Coyotes had three first-round picks. They traded one of them to Edmonton for that package that I just mentioned. So uh, Cassian gets a new home. Arizona still ended up with two first-round picks after that trade, so uh, it worked out for both sides. The Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, they traded goalie Peter Mrazek and a first-round pick in the 2022 draft, which was number 25 overall to those Chicago Blackhawks who continued to just acquire picks. Uh, And the only thing Chicago sent back was a second-round pick in the draft, which was 38th overall. So it's a weird trade because the Maple Leafs sent a goalie and a first-round pick, and all they got back was the 38th overall pick. So uh, it was more of a... It seems though Toronto kind of incentivized uh, the Blackhawks accepting Mrazek's contract and giving him a first-round pick to do so. But um, another couple goalies to get moved. St. Louis moved uh, goalie Ville Husso over to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange uh, for a third-round pick in last week's draft. Uh, Husso then signed a three-year, $15 million deal with the Red Wings uh, upon the trade. And then the Senators, the Ottawa Senators, they traded goaltender Matt Murray and a third-round pick in 2023 and a a seventh-round pick in 2024 to the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, in exchange for future considerations. So uh, the Leafs got rid of Peter Mrazek. They acquired Matt Murray. Matt Murray has really struggled the last uh, year and a half after a terrific rookie year with the Penguins. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. But I keep mentioning that NHL draft that took place. We'll just do a quick recap on that. The top five picks in the draft. The first overall pick belonged to the Montreal Canadiens, which the draft was in Montreal, Quebec, at uh, the Bell Center. So they, uh, the home team had the first overall pick, and they took uh, Slovakian forward Juraj Slavkovsky. All right, he's a huge kid, 6'3", 218 pounds, plays left wing, uh, just a terrific talent. He was actually uh, the MVP of the Beijing Winter Olympics uh, this past winter, uh, leading Team Slovakia to a bronze medal. Uh, led the led the uh, Beijing Olympics in goals. All right, at 18 years old, he's the first ever Slovakian player to be selected number one overall. So uh, he's just a big kid. Shane Wright, uh, the center from uh, Canada, was. Uh, it was either him or Uri Slavkovsky that were going to be the first overall pick. The Canadians ended up going with Slavkovsky, which is exactly what I would have done as well. Second overall pick belonged to the New Jersey Devils. They drafted Slovakian defenseman Simon Nemec, a teammate of Slavkovsky on uh, Team Slovakia there in the, the Winter Olympics. Uh, and he's grown up with Slavkovsky. They're the same age. Uh, Nemec is a good skating, uh, puck-moving defenseman, very solid um, like I said, he's been teammates with Slavkovsky his whole life growing up, playing World Juniors, all the World Championships, and the Olympics with him. Uh, first time ever that Slovakia's had players drafted one and two overall in the NHL draft. Third overall pick belonged to the Arizona Coyotes. They took uh, United States forward Logan Cooley. All right, He's a product of the U.S. National Development Program, and uh, Cooley is a center. Uh, He's committed to the University of Minnesota, so he will be playing hockey for the Golden Gophers uh, this fall. Uh, He was the first American off the board. Fourth overall pick belonged to the Seattle Kraken, and that is where Shane Wright fell to. Like I said, Shane Wright, he's uh, 
center from Canada. He was widely projected to be the number one overall pick uh, for just about the entire draft process uh, until Slavkovsky started gaining steam uh, basically ever since the Winter Olympics uh, several months ago. But Shane Wright, he's been a top-flight player for a long time. Uh, played in juniors since he was 15. He actually got a CHL exemption uh, to play at 15 years old because you need to be 16 to play. But they let him in at 15. And this year, at uh, age 18, he put up 94 points in 63 games in the OHL with uh, the Kingston Frontenac. So, terrific player. That is a fantastic point-per-game average. Just an absolute steal for the Seattle Kraken, who now have their top two centers uh, in Shane Wright and then last year's number two overall pick, Matty Benier. So, I would fully expect Shane Wright to be in the NHL this season playing for the Kraken. The fifth overall pick was the Philadelphia Flyers. They drafted Cutter Gautier, uh, who is another American. He's a product of the U.S. National Development Program. Uh, committed to Boston College. So uh, Cutter Gautier will be playing for BC this fall. That makes two. Uh, there were two American players drafted inside the top five for the third time in the last four years. All right, That U.S. national development team, the U18 team, very well represented in the first round. They had six players drafted in round one. And then all in all, uh, the U.S. National Development U18 program had 14 players drafted between the seven rounds, six of them in the first round. And uh, a total of 49 American players were drafted in the NHL draft. Now, my Dallas Stars, our first-round pick, we had the 18th overall pick. Uh, we took uh, big defenseman Leanne Bichel uh, from Switzerland. Uh, he played in the Swedish Pro League, but he's from Switzerland. He's 6'5", 213 pounds. He can skate well. Big physical guy. So I like that pick. Um, I wish we could have been a tad bit higher in the draft, but um, we have a lot of young talent uh, there in, in juniors and in the AHL to pick from, so we needed to, to bolster that defensive core, and so we certainly did that. Uh, first four draft picks for the Stars were all defense uh, before they drafted a forward and then a goaltender. But there was a weird uh, NHL draft note, just kind of a, just a weird fact. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, they drafted Swedish defenseman Elias Pettersson in the third round at pick number 80, uh, which is five years after they drafted Swedish forward Elias Pettersson, who has become an all-star caliber player for them in the NHL, um, has led their team in goals, I think, the past couple years. It was actually the sixth time in NHL history that different players with the same name have been drafted by the same team. So again, that's kind of one of those weird baseball stats. But um, uh, the Canucks drafted a second Elias Pettersson. So uh, very weird and interesting there at the same time. Some other NHL news. We did have one retirement, uh, noteworthy retirement anyways, this past week. Longtime defenseman Duncan Keith has announced his retirement from the NHL after 17 seasons. Uh, of course, Duncan Keith, he spent most of his career with the Chicago Blackhawks before playing this past year with the Edmonton Oilers. He is a three-time Stanley Cup champion, all with Chicago, two-time Norris Trophy winner, three-time All-Star, and then he won the Conn Smythe Trophy in the 2014-2015 season as the playoff MVP for those Chicago Blackhawks. He's played in 1,256 career games. He's scored 106 goals, 540 assists in that time frame. 
But the most impressive stat of his career might just be that he averaged uh, an eye-popping 24 minutes and 41 seconds of ice time per game over his career. Uh, That is just insane. Uh, He's, uh, you know, there's only 60 minutes in an NHL game, three 20-minute periods. So 60 minutes, and this dude played almost 25 minutes per game over the course of his entire career, which means that there were games that he had more and games that he had less. And so there were games where he did legitimately play half of the game, which, um, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, you know, but uh, for the game of hockey, if you've played it, you understand that that is an absolute shit ton of ice time. And uh, he has been an Iron Man in the league for a long time, certainly going to be in the Hall of Fame with that resume couple other real quick notes. The Colorado Avalanche, they have promoted general manager Joe Sackick to president of hockey operations and promoted uh, Chris McFarland to the general manager spot. Now, this comes on the heels, obviously, of their Stanley Cup winning season in which Joe Sackick was named uh, general manager of the year. So Sackick gets moved up to president of hockey operations and Chris McFarland, who was instrumental in those trade deadline acquisitions that they uh, got to boost them into that Stanley Cup uh, winning season uh, has been promoted to general manager. So uh, the last NHL note, coaching hire, it's an assistant coaching hire. Normally I wouldn't note this, but uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've hired Jeff Blaschel to be their assistant head coach or one of their assistant coaches. Uh, and if you recall, Jeff Blaschel got fired from the Detroit Red Wings a few weeks ago. The Detroit Red Wings then hired Tampa Bay Lightning assistant coach Derek Lalonde to be their new head coach. We talked about that, I think, two episodes ago. Uh, so the teams basically traded coaches, uh, if if you will. Uh, Blaschel gets fired from the wings, goes to Tampa, and then Lalonde goes from Tampa uh, over to uh, be the head coach of the wings. So I uh, just thought that was interesting to note. But we'll move over to the NBA real quick. Uh, free agency still going on. Um, you know, a lot of signings have taken place. We've just talked about the major ones, but another week down and there's been just another belligerent NBA contract handed out. All right. Uh, The Portland Trailblazers, they have re-signed their all-star point guard, Damian Lillard, to a two-year, $122 million deal. You heard that correctly. This dude is going to average uh, $61 million for the next two seasons, right? $61 million per year for the next two seasons. That is absolutely asinine. Uh, But uh, they traded for Jeremy Grant just a couple weeks ago, so they had to lock up Damian Lillard for a couple years. Um, Just, I mean, Lillard is obviously one of the better players in the game, but uh, that money is just stupid. So uh, that's the only noteworthy contract that was handed out. Uh, But move over to Major League Baseball. Uh, the All-Star Game starters have been announced for the All-Star Game, uh, which is uh, Monday, July 19th, um, or Tuesday, July 19th, rather. The Home Run Derby would be Monday, July 18th. Uh, there's starting to come out with a list of names that are participating in that. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, uh, Albert Pujols is actually taking place in the Home Run Derby this year. Um, you know, so uh, Pete Alonzo from the Mets, he's won it back-to-back years. He's looking for a three-peat this year. Uh, so there's some definitely some power hitters uh, in the home run derby. We'll 
recap that on next week's episode, but the All-Star game itself is Tuesday, July 19th. It's at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California. The American League All-Star starters, right? Catcher, Alejandro Kirk from the Toronto Blue Jays. First base, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the Toronto Blue Jays. Second base, Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros. Shortstop, Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. Third base, Rafael Devers from the Boston Red Sox. And your outfielders, you got two from the New York Yankees. That would be Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. And then Mike Trout from the Los Angeles Angels. The designated hitter is Shohei Otani. Now, it's, you know, Otani's had a great year, both pitching and hitting. Uh, He's probably had better pitching numbers than hitting numbers, but his hitting numbers are still very good. It's just simply a disgrace that uh, Houston Astros designated hitter Jordan Alvarez was not named the starter. Uh, The dude's hitting over 300, leads the MLB in OPS, um, and he's, he's just been an absolute force, has damn near 30 home runs. Uh, but Jordan Alvarez, I forgot to mention this in the standings update, he just got placed on the injured list uh, with a hand injury that keeps getting worse. So Alvarez would not have been able to play uh, even if he had been selected. But I just think it was kind of a slap in the face to Alvarez uh, for the year that he's had that to not be voted in a starter. Um, but that is your American League starting lineup, your National League starting lineup. At catcher, Wilson Contreras from the Chicago Cubs. First base, Paul Goldschmidt from the St. Louis Cardinals. Second base, Jazz Chisholm Jr. from the Miami Marlins. Now, he's injured, uh, so I'm not sure that uh, he's, he's not going to be able to play. Shortstop is Trey Turner from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Third base, Manny Machado from the San Diego Padres. And your outfielders, you have Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves. Mookie Betts from the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Jock Peterson from the San Francisco Giants. The designated hitter for the National League is Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies, but he just underwent uh, surgery on a fractured hand, so uh, he is going to be out six to eight weeks, Bryce Harper is, so he will not be playing. So his replacement uh, that was named was Atlanta Braves catcher William Contreras, who yes, indeed, is the brother of Chicago Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras, who is starting at the catcher position. So Wilson and William Contreras are both in the starting lineup for the National League All-Star team. They are the first set of brothers to start on the same All-Star team since Roberto and Sandy Alomar back in 1992. So very interesting fact there. Um, You know, the pitchers and reserves were named uh, this past weekend, I think on Sunday night, you can view the whole list online. I think it's going to be a fun all-star game. I mean, both lineups are just ridiculous. I kind of lean towards the American League just with the dominance uh, that uh, the upper echelon American League team, the two best teams in baseball, both reside in the American League. Uh, and that's the Yankees and the Astros. And then you factor in uh, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, you know, just, I mean, that. I think the American League is going to win. Uh, but we'll we'll do a recap of the home run derby and the all star game on next week's episode. A couple other quick major league baseball notes um, regarding the lineups for the all star game. Uh, major league baseball commissioner Rob Manfred. Uh, I may have talked about this last week. He selected uh, St. Louis Cardinals first baseman Albert Pujols and Detroit Tigers first baseman Miguel Cabrera to the all star teams. Uh, Pujols is in his last year in the majors, and Cabrera is probably not far behind. 
But uh, Manfred wanted each team to have kind of a, a legend, like a living legend. Uh, both of those guys are first ballot Hall of Famers. And uh, so he chose those two. And I mentioned Albert Pujols is actually going to be participating in the Home Run Derby. So uh, interesting there. Um, last piece of MLB news. Uh, it was announced that the World Baseball Classic, if you remember, they did that a couple years ago pre-COVID, uh, kind of like a Olympic-style tournament, uh, different countries, you know, um, participating in the World Baseball Classic. Well, that is going to be returning uh, next March, March of 2023. Uh, the games, the Ron Robin games, will be being played in Taiwan, Japan, Miami, and Phoenix. So I'm not sure what the brackets are going to look like. As we get closer to that, I'm sure uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more in depth. But nonetheless, the World Baseball Classic is returning uh, to our television sets here in March. So uh, stay tuned and keep an eye out for that before the baseball season gets started next year. And then the last piece of news in Around the Island uh, deals with college football. We've talked a whole bunch about college football over the last two episodes regarding conference realignment and the teams moving, um, you know, conferences and kind of the landscape taking shape. Uh, but I came across this graphic for college football. It is Forbes list of college football's most valuable football programs. Okay. Now Forbes obviously ranks, you know, net worth and all that kind of stuff for celebrities, but this is Forbes list of the most valuable college football programs and the amount that they're worth. And I'm going from 10 down to 1. Uh, well, we'll start at number 11. Number 11 is LSU at $114 million. There's a two-way tie for ninth uh, between Auburn and Florida, both at $117 million. Eighth is Notre Dame at $120 million. Seventh is Georgia at $125 million. Sixth is Oklahoma at $129 million. Fifth is Ohio State at $132 million. Fourth is Alabama at $134 million. Third is Michigan at $139 million. And there's a two-way tie for first uh, at $147 million, and that is uh, the Texas A&M Aggies and my beloved Texas Longhorns. So, I'm not sure what goes into Forbes's list here as far as the net worth of the, the college football programs. I'm sure it's, you know, stadium facilities, uh, revenue generated from merchandise, name image likeness, uh, that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what all goes into that, but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty comprehensive. Um, you know, I'm not surprised at any of those teams. Uh, I, I don't know that I would have guessed if you'd have given me uh, 11 guesses to name the top 11. I probably would have guessed most of those. The only one I wouldn't have guessed would have been Auburn. I probably would have said maybe Clemson instead of Auburn, but uh, all the rest of those programs are all, you know, historic programs. Uh, some of them have been elite powerhouses for the last five to 10 years. Some of them, uh, like my Longhorns, they've kind of fallen off the wagon, but they're getting back on track uh, with recruiting. So, um, you know, those teams aren't surprising at all. Like I said, Auburn's probably the most surprising, especially that they're worth more than uh, LSU. But either way, um, I just thought that list was interesting. So 
that is going to wrap up the 83rd episode of the Sports Island podcast. Um, lots of interesting stuff to get into this weekend. Like I said, Major League Baseball is uh, going to be finishing up their uh, first half of the year, technically, with the All-Star break. So uh, keep an eye on uh, on that. And before we talk again, uh, we'll have a home run derby and an All-Star game. So be sure and tune into those if you're a baseball fan. And then uh, the uh, PGA Tour, my favorite tournament of the year, my favorite weekend. It's the Open Championship. That is really all you need to watch this weekend. Uh, with the early start times, it'll be done earlier than normal. But uh, nonetheless, I will be tuned in to the Open Championship all weekend long. So uh, we will definitely touch base and do recaps and all that stuff next week. So uh, again, lots to get into this weekend. Uh, training camp in the NFL starting out but uh, in a couple weeks. So uh, we're going to be having some pretty busy episodes here as we continue to move forward through uh, the summer months. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.